The Rough Drafts Podcast is sponsored by Unicorn.com, the world's premier eSport betting site. Log on today to bet on all your favorite eSports titles at the simple click of a button. Choose your game, choose your team, earn Unicorns, and who knows, maybe you'll earn enough to enter to win any number of fabulous prizes, such as Logitech peripherals or CSGO skins in their marketplace. Unicorn.com. Log on today. Hello, Internet. This is Chase Redshirt King Wassenaar. I am a free agent, head coach, and analyst, as well as a contributor for Slingshot Esports. And welcome to another very special edition of the Rough Drafts Podcast. It has been a while since we've had an episode where we had a guest onto the show. And the guest we have for you guys planned today uh, is a guy that I used to work with back on the LCS Fan Zone when this podcast was just starting out. But before we get to him, of course, I have to introduce my fellow co-host, good friend and fellow contributor for Slingshot Esports, Walter C80 Svedchuk. Walter, how are you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. It's nice to have a, a guest that we can ask questions of and see what they have to say. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. And that guest today is Jeremy Wolf, uh, as you might have seen him on Twitter. He is a guy who has been doing a lot of work breaking down statistics for various organizations uh, looking at social media engagements and everything else. Uh, he is also a avid fan of the game and a guy that I've just loved kind of breaking down the scene with since I first met him. Jeremy, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great. I'm excited to be back on your show. I mean, it's been, what, two years, I think, since the last time I've been on. That's It's true. It's been far too long. It's one of those things where, uh, you know, guests have kind of been something that we've been meaning to do more of. And now that we've had a chance to you know, upgrade some of our, our equipment things and, and just be a lot more efficient, I think, at audio editing. We're hoping to do a lot more of these kinds of shows for people. But let's start with this, Jeremy. For people who might not know who you are and what it is you've really been focusing on in the esports scene, what is it that you've been focusing on with your recent work? When I talk about things like looking at social media engagement, what exactly are we talking about here? We're talking about interactions, engagements, um, I've tracked the LCS at LCS Esports and the hashtags NCA, NA LCS and EU LCS this past weekend. And engagements were over 20 million, and it's been crazy. Like 20 million people seen tweets that were posted about the LCS. Multiple people have seen like 100 million if you count people seeing them more than once. It's just been insane how esports has been growing in social media, Twitter and Facebook, Instagram. Some teams are doing it right, some teams aren't. Um, teams are on Snapchat with geo filters now. It's just it's really blowing up. It's exciting to watch. Yeah, it is one of those things where, especially when you look at such a digital medium, teams that are able to navigate through these kinds of forces and really make a name for themselves certainly have the ability to reach a, a fan base in a very different way. It's one of the reasons, of course, that I'm a, a Rocket fan. Anyone who's seen them on Twitter or 
anything else is is always interesting. Jeremy, you bring up like uh, a Snapchat and you bring up the social engagements. I I feel like from my perspective, Echo Fox for being such a new brand has really had this like all out blitz on social media and trying to get people involved. What do you think about their emoji app? Have you seen that? Yeah, 99 cents, you can get all these emojis with Echo Fox. I think it's brilliant. It's not costing the company much money to put it out, but fans are going to love it. They're going to share it. They're going to be sending emojis of Echo Fox players to people that don't even follow esports and be like, what is this? And then they have a door to talk about esports with it. Yeah. Anything that could get that conversation going is something that we're seeing be more and more impactful. You know, obviously the E-League has been the big one. Recently, that moved on to actual television with their airing on TBS, as well as the traditional screen in Counter-Strike has been incredibly interesting just to see people's reactions and, and how that audience has grown and the way people are engaging on different levels. And, you know, I, I think that when you look at organizations like Echo Fox that are coming up with new and interesting ways to, to interact with people, it's pretty incredible. I I had not actually seen this Echo Fox emoji thing until you guys brought it up. And now I'm, I just wish that Rocket has one. Like now as a fan, I, I want more things like this to engage with because engagement is great. But, you know, engagement is obviously a complicated thing to look at uh, when you're looking at big picture things. When we're talking about the LCS in general, you brought up earlier how there were a ton of impressions on this particular week's action and the LCS has really gained traction in that regard. But the viewer numbers would indicate that maybe things aren't quite as clear cut as we might imagine. What were your biggest takeaways when you looked at these initial streams on week one and, and how we can compare that to previous LCS streams? And I think the biggest problem was the lack of communication on Riot's part to let people know that the broadcasts are no longer on Riot Games and they're on NALCS1, NALCS2, EULCS1, EULCS2. It's like a tongue twister right there. Um, and people weren't getting it in their email boxes saying the games are on. Yes, in the client, if you're about to play a game, it said, hey, the LCS is on, you can go watch it. But if you're planning to sit down and play a game, you're probably not going to stop what you're doing to watch the LCS unless it was your favorite team. So I think they lost, there's some disconnect there and some problems with them communication about when the times the games are going to be played and the channel switching. I think that's a huge factor. Yeah, I think it's undoubtedly true that when you have this big of a move, you have to explain it to people. I mean, obviously, we follow this for a living. You know, we do this podcast every week. And we're constantly analyzing all these games. And I couldn't figure out where the second stream was for the EULCS. Twitch.tv slash Riot Games was hosting EULCS 1, but Riot Games 2 was completely unused for reasons that I still do not understand. We had two Riot channels already. And trying to put it in these regional streams is something that really just didn't add up to me. It, it was kind of separating this whole notion that Riot has always had when you listen to them talk. They're like, well, we need to make sure that North American fans and European fans can each follow these scenes because the West, you know, Western audience is invested in both of these scenes. And by diverting the streams in this way, it really makes it clear that they are now seeing it as very different audiences and they're not, you know, linking these things together in a way that's naturally conducive 
So, Jeremy, the next question becomes, how does Riot improve upon this? How do they get this message out there about how this streaming system works so that casual fans, you know, let alone people like us, but even you know, casual fans that they want to bring in can easily understand what's going on here? I think naturally it'll get better over time as people get used to it, but they need to relay the message to the players and the fans more. And the fact that people are going to hit that sub button now, so they're going to understand that they're going to get the notifications in their email. They're going to go on the LOL esports site and check the schedules, hopefully. I mean, I hope people go to the sites and check out how their team's doing and articles. Um, they need to make more content about the broadcasts and do some content marketing on the LCS. It's not a new idea. It's a big company. They should know how to do this. Right, but one of the things when I, I look at Riot and, and you bring up marketing is that they've been very successful in marketing their game via um, via the game itself, using the, the professional scene to market the game and get people to want to play the game and want to buy skins in the game, et cetera, et cetera. But the one thing that you bring up is, is engagement, and when you think about engagement, then you think about sponsorships. And sponsors always want to know what their their return on their investment is going to be. How many eyeballs are going to get to see my product? And that's been one thing that Riot has really lacked in, especially in the the Western scene. We've seen in in Korea that it's been fairly successful with uh, the multiple different title sponsors they've had. Coca Cola is now the title sponsor of the uh, the LCK. Do you think that that lack of marketing sponsor type products also? is indicative of them not being able to market their own league? I think it's sad, but it's probably true. Like, they had some sponsors. I feel like they rather work at a loss to make themselves look like the good guys. That's my theory about it. Um, they could have had sponsors a long time ago. LCS is huge. I, they, there's a falling out somewhere in their esports department that needs to get fixed. I don't. I don't really know the solution to it. Well, one of the things that River brought up on social media, River, of course, being uh, one of the leaders on this esportspedia website, is an idea of just allowing the stream to go live, you know, an hour or two before the game started on the main Riot Games channel, this place where, as you note, people are subscribed and people naturally do get these kinds of notifications and have something on the stream saying, hey, this is the time of our games. This is the the link for the first stream. This is the link for the second stream. Go here when you want to watch these games. I feel like even that basic information is something that really should have made been made prevalent. And the fact that Riot didn't do that, to me, it, it speaks to this whole idea of Riot's belief that the LCS is so big that they don't need to spend that extra kind of time and energy marketing it because people who are going to want it are going to find it anyway. And I, I can't help but find that system inherently flawed. I mean, do, do you think it's it's fair to say that, you know, there are some simple things like that that Riot could have been doing? Or do you think that when it comes to as big of an overhaul as we're looking at, it's more complicated than simply just putting a marker on a stream before the games go live? I think it's definitely something Riot could be doing and they should be doing. They need to cater to their audience and their fans and 
I don't know if they just think that they're on a high horse and they don't need to worry about it. But it is a factor when you see half of the viewing audience and you had from the previous split. And seeing 100,000 people on one channel and 25,000 on the second channel, there's a disconnect somewhere in there. Yeah, and, and let's talk about that dual stream system. Obviously, this is the first time that we've seen it in action. One week is not a full sample size, so you know we have to be careful about just how many conclusions we're drawing. But as you just pointed out, there seemed to be a huge contrast between whatever was seen as the most popular series and whatever we were seeing as the lesser series. And in my personal experience, it didn't seem like it was necessarily limited to stream one or stream two, and much more had to do with, you know, what are the big branded teams that did very well last split. Jeremy, when you were looking at these numbers and really breaking down your findings, what were the things that jumped out to you after this first week? Well, I noticed that during the CLG Apex game on Sunday, the numbers jumped up huge in that game one. It was almost 200,000 people on that one stream because the game was 50-some minutes long. It was really intense, really exciting. It might have actually been game of the week. And when you look at the CLG TSM game, that pulled like a 400,000 viewers in earlier in the spring season when they played. And the summer game, it was like 150, I think, it topped out at. I might be wrong. I was multi-twitching a lot too, so... It's weird just trying to watch two streams on multi-twitch with the screens are so small, it's hard to really dissect what's going on. Or you can put both games on and you can flip back and forth. There's just a lot going on and the fans aren't committed to watch. They want to watch. I believe they do. They love LCS. So it's just a matter of time to get all that stuff worked out. Do you think that the the rise in the CLG Apex numbers uh, was not only that it was a decent series, it was actually an interesting series for people, but also the given the timing of it when it actually started? Do you think that that had any real impact on why the numbers seemed to go back to normal when it was starting at you know 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Eastern time and noon Pacific time? No, I think that had a way better impact on it because Europe could actually watch the games unlike Friday night where it's already midnight by the time those games started for most people or past midnight depending on where you lived in Europe and many people in Europe watch NA and many people in A watch Europe so there is a big crossover with viewership and this is where one of my problems comes into play when you look at things like that TSM CLG series on the Friday stream that game started at 8 o'clock Eastern time. That's 5 o'clock Pacific time, which in theory is the kind of prime time television that we've seen when it comes to traditional sports games in the United States. But if we're looking at this as a potential, you know, Europe being an important part of this audience, well, in Germany, that series started at 2 a.m. The next series, because there was one after that, starts at 5 a.m., which is still, by the way, 11 o'clock on the East Coast. And I don't know about you, but you know, if you're anyone with a job that happens to work on the weekends or, or simply someone who doesn't like staying up till 2 or 3 a.m., 
this schedule doesn't really seem conducive to anyone outside of the West Coast. Jeremy, how much of that is something that needs to be looked at as Riot moves forward? And, and what can they do to help fix these things to widen the possible audience here? I don't think they're going to adjust the time schedule to split. They might reevaluate re it for the spring of 2017, but I think this is what they're going to be doing, and this is what we're either going to have to get used to or the numbers are just going to be lower. It's just going to be a part of our LCS lives for the next three months. I don't see them changing their Friday night schedule at all. Chase, you were you were you lived in Europe for a while. You were a, a student over there for a while. Does Europe still react to like prime time? I know that in in the United States, prime time TV is like a really big thing, especially on on like Friday nights and Saturday nights. Is, is it as big in Europe? Like, is that a very important time slot for Europe? And can would Europeans understand why? Riot would choose to have it on such like a key time in the United States? I mean, certainly it's one of those things where when you break down, you know, a prime time, uh, you know, situation, there's a reason that prime time is considered prime time, right? It's because people are back home from work. They've usually had dinner at this point. They're settled down for the evening and they want to enjoy whatever you know, whatever content they're, they're going to enjoy, whether it be a sporting event, whether it be their favorite TV show. This is why we've organized our lives this way. But let's be clear here that Riot has not given Europe that same kind of attention when you look at their schedule. Their games start on 5 o'clock in German time. That is 4 p.m. in the UK time. Guess what? No one's back home from work yet. The first round of games... People are still probably either leaving work or on their way back uh, and, and driving and having to miss out on all these things. That's not ideal, but we seem to agree that that's okay for whatever reason. And to a certain extent, I understand it because when you have five sets worth of games on any given day, that last best of two, you don't want starting particularly late. But at the same time, that is one of the things that you just have to make as a concession when you're looking at how you're going to appeal to a wide audience. You cannot put every single series in a primetime spot. But what you need to do is acknowledge that there needs to be a way for at least a larger amount of people to enjoy the largest amount of games. The European schedule to me at least makes sense because two-thirds of the games take place at seven uh, German time or later. That makes sense. That is around that primetime average. Yes, it's still on a Thursday, which is really not ideal because people have work the next day. And guess what? You're not staying up until 11 or 12 at night, depending on where you are in Europe, to watch Splice versus Schalke. You're just not doing that. But at the same time, you know, at least that makes some amount of sense. This North American game, it's almost like when the NFL does the second Monday night game for just the West Coast audiences when they start that game around 7 or 8 o'clock Pacific time. But note that they only do that a couple weeks out of the year, and they only do it with teams that are both Western fan bases that are specifically West Coast teams. Apex versus Envious has nothing to do with the West Coast. This is a digital age. Everyone in North America and all the fans in Europe are going to want to see these games. And right now... The North American time slot 
is not conducive to that at all, while the European time slot is still to at least a bit of an extent adjusting so that it's decent enough in the early to mid-afternoon for the East Coast and the morning for the Pacific Coast to, to have that kind of work out for North American fans. It does seem skewed in that regard to me. Jeremy, is that fair? Am, am I going too far with that in, in how they've kind of planned it? Or, or do you feel that this is a legitimate prioritization on certain North American timeframes to make the schedule work out the way they want it to? Yeah, I was just looking at next week's game is Apex versus Team Envy. So Envy's in that second time slot again. So they possibly could be missing European viewership that might learn to discover Envy and love them. I think it might be better if they just switched that over so it started earlier, but the second game would still be in that prime time, so it would be ending around 11 o'clock Eastern on Friday nights. Yeah, those first games would have the same problems that Europe has starting early and it's not people still getting home and stuff. But it might have been a better solution, but whoever fought up the schedule and planned it, I would hope that they would know what they're doing and find the solutions. I mean, you have to think that they know what they're doing. So, How important, Jeremy, do you think it is that we have this Western audience that Riot has consistently alluded to, this idea of not looking at the LCS as a European audience or a North American audience, but a Western audience as a whole? Because the easiest way to look at it and fix this is to say, well, of course it's in the North American primetime. North America is the only audience we care about. If we're the North American scene and the European scene, we should be adjusting in the similar way. Is that something that makes sense given how esports has grown in, in the League of Legends scene in particular and just how much content there is to absorb right now? Or is that something that you could see hurting them in the long run? I, I could see that hurting them because... I have a lot of European followers on Twitter and stuff, and they interact with NALCS. I interact about Europe LCS. And there seems to be like the huge crossover. And if Europe fans can't watch the games, I have to think that that would have to hurt them in the long run as fans can't absorb all that they want to consume, all the content and the games going on. So. Now, now that we've like, chatted on the schedules, and the one thing I do want to bring up, Chase, is you brought up you don't think that catering everything to the West Coast is, West Coast is important. I'm going to slightly disagree with you because that's where the arena is based. That's where their live viewership is based. They have to make sure it's at a decent time on the West Coast so that people can actually fill the arena and it won't be completely empty. Uh, someone had tweeted out a photo that they took in the bat in the second stage during the uh envy energy game on friday night and it was like empty and there's a very there's a very good reason why riot is not doing like camera panning audience shots on that stream on friday night it, it was empty it was like dead quiet there wasn't a lot of cheering you couldn't hear a lot of stuff so i think that is one point that we have to make is they have to make sure that the Pacific Coast time, that they're working using the Pacific Coast time so they can fill in this studio, so they can have that live presence uh, that they really want. But Jeremy, my question for you is, do you like ties? 
Well, I'm not from Europe, so I'm not really sure if I do or not. I don't understand it. I'm not from Europe. <laughs> I I saw Chase bring this up on Twitter, and after watching the after watching Sunday, watching the LCS on Sunday, and watching how close some of those series were, do you feel like we were robbed of some enjoyable series in in Europe of of some enjoyable game threes because they decided they wanted to do the best of two versus best of three system? Yeah, I, I definitely feel like we were robbed of some great games. There were some great games that could have happened that never happened. OG wouldn't have to worry about this, but a, a lot of the other teams would. <laughs> oh, man. I, I approve of those shots so hard at or- Origin right now. They really, um, they've earned every amount of criticism they're going to get this week. But yeah, I mean, I, I'll put it this way. You know who was really mad about the best of two system? Gilius. That was my favorite interview of the whole week was him basically saying, like, yeah, I feel like we screwed up game one. I really wish there was a best of three. And it was one of those things where, you know, he could tell, like, he wanted the third game because he genuinely believed that Shulk, this team that not a lot of people had a lot of hope for heading into the regular season, could have beaten H2K in that series. Which, A, I just love the confidence from the guy. That's something that I love to see and I'd love to see more of as we kind of get further into the split. But second of all, to me, it's so important that teams like Schalke actually get a chance to prove themselves in that extent. When you have a series like the Schalke H2K series where they're going back and forth, where they're really hammering each other and having these very close games, it's worth it to have that third game and see to yourself which one of these teams, when the pressure's on, is going to step up and take that next level in a way that we saw happen with the Cloud9 versus Echo Fox series that we saw with Apex over CLG, Immortals Cloud9. I mean, these series were all changed by the fact that at the end of the day, when backs were against the wall, some team had to come through in that third game. And the team that did, you know, to, to me, it just punishes these teams in Europe who truly believe that they could have pulled that off and had a game drop either because you know things spiraled out of control in the early game or, or, or something else. It's a, it's a rough situation to me. Jeremy, at the end of the day, is, is this something where it, it comes down to a viewer preference thing and, and the long-term effect is kind of hard to pin down? Or do you think that this will have an effect on the kinds of performances we see and the investment that we see is people realize that you know these draws are, are just not as inherently interesting as a storyline as a game three has been in North America, whereas we've pointed out before, some of the best ratings came in. I, I could see it both ways. From the fan perspective, the games might not matter as much, and from the player perspective, it's possible that a team might only need a tie, so we only have to win one out of the last one out of the two games in a series to make the playoffs or something. I, I think competitively, they're all going to try their hardest still, but there has to be something that's like the fight in some of these players that they just want that third game. I don't think there'd be a lasting impact from the viewership numbers because it's still LCS, but it's just ties. I mean, I don't know. Before we move on, I, I have to ask, what series that was tied would you have wanted to watch a Game 3 more? 
I was actually enjoying the Shucks um, game. I don't I don't know what about that team that I kind of like. They just like they get so tanky and they were just pulling out. I don't know. I was kind of into them this weekend, just <laughs> watching what they were doing. I don't know. Well, I'm going to be incredibly biased and say Rocket versus HK. Of course. We, of course. We took a oh. game. We had it. We had it. I really do believe that, you know, if the early game in game two doesn't go as terribly as it did, and by God, does Airwalks frustrate me to an extent that I cannot put into words half of the time. But we won game one. The team fighting was on point. The, the Lambs were spite. For everything that Airwalks has a problem with in the early game, his team fighting actually looked surprisingly good. And I wanted to see a game three with against this H2K team that had a weird sense of priorities when it came to, you know, how they were handling some of these objectives. I, you know, and even if we would have lost that game three, which I do believe H2K is the better team at this point, I would have loved to have a chance. I would love to see how Rockat would step up because I feel like having that game three against an organization as experienced and as knowledgeable as H2K is can only make your team better in the long run. And I wish, I wish we'd gotten to see it. I wish I got to see if Rockat could really hang with a team like H2K in a game three with their backs against the wall. But unfortunately, that's just not what we're going to see. And you know what else we're not going to see, Jeremy? We're not going to see as many pro players streaming nowadays because according to uh, Doublelift and a few other pros that have come out against the dynamic queue system, there is a huge movement within the North American scene to have players create their own almost mini solo queue on the tournament realm right now. Now, Jeremy, given how much of an impact players streaming have had on the success of the LCS and the fact that players cannot stream on tournament realm accounts. Do you see this having a potential impact on from just a sheer numbers viewership perspective on the LCS? I think it could, but I don't think it will. I don't think Riot's going to let it get to that point. I think they're going to make another big change to Dynamic Q and get these pro players back on Dynamic queue, solo queue, whatever they end up calling it, whatever they end up changing it to. Because, and the players want to stream. They they want to be streaming these games. They want to be making that extra money. They have to be streaming so many hours anyway for their Twitch contracts they have with their org. It, it's it's a lot going on here, and I think that Riot is going to make some changes. They're going to get it done. It's just a weird conflict right now, weird time where something has to be done. I, I hope that they'll make the right decision and make some changes. I don't want to turn this in, into a, a absolute riot hate stream, but the fact that the pro players feel so against having to do this that they need to go create their own ladder system, essentially, whether it's on attorney realm, whether they start doing you know custom game style in-houses... Other games do that. Heroes of the Storm actually did that for, you know, six months or so before Heroes in their their actual, like, release season one patch redid their entire rank system. It works. Having all those players do something that, like that will work. But at the same time, I've played less ranked. I haven't wanted to play ranked anymore because of Dynamic Q. It hasn't been a fun experience for me to deal with. 
And the way that Riot seems so indifferent to the opinions everyone has in sort of a, well, we made this decision, we think it's best for everyone, we'll try and make it better kind of, you know, approach, just, it really turns me off as a player. And if it wasn't for the LCS and it wasn't for the amount of money that I've spent on that damn game, I could easily see myself and see why people would be switching to games like Overwatch, to Heroes, to you know whatever else anyone wants to switch the game off of. But I think it's really huge that the players themselves are willing to say to Riot, we're going to stop streaming your game because when the LCS isn't on, that's how everyone gets to see it. That's how 40,000 people a week get to see it from Bjergsen, or stream from Bjergsen. And we're just going to go play on the tournament realm. Could you guys let us stream that? And Riot has a very firm, nobody streams the tournament realm but us approach. Challenger series, they go through and they clear out any username on the tournament realm that does not need to be active within a three to six month window. Like, it's gone. They clear those things out. And even when you change teams in some instances, they clear out your old account and give you a new account on the on the tournament realm with your actual, you know, with your new team's name. They don't just like name change it or anything. So it's very curious, but it'll show the level of bar- bargaining power that players are going to have with Riot in terms of the professional scene if this forces some sort of a change. It's funny, um, Seeds, how so much, so much, many of us have spent so much money on a game that's free. I mean, we honestly do love League of Legends. We love the skins. We love so much about it. We love the LCS. We're passionate about it. I still think that they will make some changes, and hopefully the pros like it enough so they'll go back to Dynamic Queue. I don't want them to stop streaming. I enjoy watching a few of the players stream, so I think it'll be good for the fans and everybody involved if Riot Games can just figure out the system and make everybody happy. or They're not going to make everybody happy, but at least make the pros happy enough so they go back to that. Yeah, and it's something that Riot has more urgency to fix than I think a lot of people realize. Mostly because, as a lot of these pro players have come out and mentioned, streaming for many of them is their biggest source of income. Whether it be donations from fans, just the straight-up subscribers that come in, running ads on the channel, all of this makes them a significant amount of money. And if they don't feel comfortable, or their coaches don't feel comfortable with them playing dynamic queue because it's wasting valuable practice time well now they've lost a pretty sizable portion of their income and that doesn't end well when you're trying to convince people to come in and become a part of this professional scene we've already seen north america have a an issue really developing talent over the long run there's a reason that so much talent has had to be imported And we're seeing it now with Europe with a lot more teams using up those import slots in a way that they hadn't in the past. If we are not going to encourage people to be able to invest in being a professional player because streaming is more lucrative and it's now becoming harder and harder to get the practice time you need and also be playing on a platform in which you can stream, now you're disincentivizing talent from entering the league. And obviously there are going to be enough people that are interested that that's not going to be a, a necessarily short-term problem. People are always going to want to be professional gamers. People are always going to want to have that moment in the spotlight because 
it's really, really cool to say, hey, I get paid to play video games for a living. But that's the kind of goodwill that runs out at some point, especially as more and more teams are, you know, looking at jumping to other games. And, and, and this is something even Heroes of the Storm we've, we've seen. The top team in Heroes of the Storm right now, MVP Black, is talking about quitting the game and going to play Overwatch because of their problems with the Q ladder. And that's a kind of a concern at the end of the day. Jeremy, do you see the this as a long-term problem, or do you see this as something, like you said, where a short-term solution will be found just because of, of where this can go? It will be a long-term problem if they don't find the solution for it, because the challenger and the master tier levels will be not as strong if these players are not playing on it, because they are the best people, best players in the North America. And if those best professionals aren't playing on it, and if players of the game aren't seeing them play on it and know that they're on the same ladder, which is, that's a big reason people play, is because they want to be on the same length system as the pros. So in the long term, it would be an issue if they don't solve the issue. But short term, I think they will solve it. But I, I really don't know with this Riot Games... You never know what they're going to do. So just to let the fans in, we have some breaking news on this pre-recorded podcast. So we're recording on Monday afternoon. It's 2 o'clock Eastern time. And everyone was complaining about the fact that the World Championship was taking place in North America and was only taking a place in the United States. Well, that's okay. Riot has your back, Canada officially announced that on the 27th and 28th of August, the North American LCS Summer Finals will be at the Air Canada Center in Toronto. I wonder if Drake is going to have sideline seats. What do you think about this development, Jeremy? I figured why it was going to do that, make the NA Summer Finals in Canada, but it's nice that the announcement is finally here. It's a band-aid on a big problem where Canada feels like they haven't been a part of NA when they've been a part of NA the whole time. But Riot hasn't conveyed that message that, yeah, we love you, Canada. We're happy that you're part of NA. And now this is a little stepping stone in rebuilding that relationship that was kind of falling apart. I, I just thought it was always interesting how there's this sort of disconnect between Riot and, and the Canadian-style audience when we've had so many influential people come from Canada. Like, you know, Hotshot GG is one of the two most influential people, is one of the few most influential people when it came to the early days of League of Legends. Now in the scene, you have guys like Shifter, you have guys like Wild Turtle. Um it just seems kind of dismissive. I even thought the CLG MSI jerseys were they're representing North America, and it seems that we do just view the North American region as just the United States. So, Chase, what do you think the impact will be having it in Canada? Well, first of all, if they don't get Drake involved in some way, I'm going to be very disappointed in Riot Games. I just feel like this is something where you tell Drake, hey – Millions of people are going to be watching this. He'll find a way. That just seems to be Drake's MO at this point. So I really hope that works out. Honestly, I mean, Toronto's a great city. I've wanted an excuse to go there for a long time. Now I have one. So shout out to that. It, it's one of those things where at the end of the day, 
I understand why North America gets as much attention as it does because the population of the United States is so huge compared to Canada. And so it's one of those things where I understand why they would focus on these things, especially when we already have problems where the East Coast of the U.S. gets very few competitive esports events compared to the West Coast. But this is a huge step forward towards helping people in Canada who really want to have one of these events. This is going to be a big one. This is going to be something that I, you know, can, can make a difference in terms of reaching out to this audience. And who knows, maybe there'll be, you know, some kid like Wild Turtle watching in the audience gets inspired to really start spamming the ladder and we'll have some more Canadian stars in the league. That would be great for everybody. So I'm very excited about that. Jeremy, before we wrap this up, I want to touch on what you're excited about. We've talked about all the things surrounding the games, but when you were watching this week, what was the most exciting storyline in the games that you uh, that you noticed this week for you? Apex's lay on Fizz, just dismantling Deshaun in two games. That was just insane that Deshaun got looked like he was a challenger player to Lay's Fizz. He would get in there, assassinate and Stixie, and it was just insane how good Lay is, like... I had some people comment about how um, Chris is the sub on the team and he helped the team get into the LCS, but Lay is just too good not to have him play. It was just, it was like the funnest part of all weekend is just watching him play Fizz. And I'm not even a Fizz man. I'm, I love LeBlanc. Like it was nice when seeing her get picked, but it, in the other game I watched, it was, just, I think he, his storyline, the return of Quas and, um, also, at special, yeah, his return to the LCS stage, it looks like he hasn't missed a beat. Got player of the game two games, I think, out of the series. It's just, there's a lot of storylines in the LCS right now, and it'll be interesting to see which ones the LCS decides to highlight and which ones they don't, so. Yeah, I have to say, Apex is the biggest surprise to me after one week. This is a team that I had very little faith in, mostly because the words... Apollo plays a significant role were involved in this team. But, you know, when Expecial's playing support the way that he is, and Ray is this dominant top lane force, suddenly everything comes together. The, having a supportive AD carry works when you have a carry in the top lane that you can trust. And while I'm not sure if it's going to be one of those situations where, we, you know, we've seen in the past teams like MYM or Millennium get off to huge starts uh, and then fall, falter a little bit as we get forward. We'll see if people kind of figure Apex out. But right now, they're playing on a, a much higher level than I was expecting. And it's uh, a much happier storyline than the one you mentioned about NRG, uh, where poor Quas just looks entirely lost on the big stage right now. And it's sad to see because he was one of my favorite players once upon a time and they've got a lot of work to do in that regard. Is there any match that you're particularly looking forward to this week, Jeremy, that you're, you're very excited to uh, break down and see how, uh, how these teams perform? I would say um, Echo Fox versus Liquid, best of three um, on Sunday. Um, I want to see what Liquid does with Dardock. Um, I understand his suspension was over officially on the first, but you don't play him in the first three games. 
that kind of means like you still kind of suspended or you still wasn't in good standings. But then you lose your first three games and you decide to put him in. It just seems kind of shady. Like, sure, he wasn't suspended officially. That ended on the first. But unofficially, he was probably suspended for this week, too. But I think Echo Fox versus Liquid, that's going to be a really good game. And TSM versus Immortals, also the first game on Sunday. Yeah, I think that, that Immortals versus TSM game is actually going to be huge. It's very important for TSM to show that this game, the games against Team Liquid and CLG weren't flukes that they can play against what I consider an even stronger opponent. But it's also key for Immortals because they looked... They had some problems against not only Cloud9, but even Phoenix One. They had some issues in the early game where they were making a lot of a lot of decision making mistakes and allowing enemy junglers to really get on top of their their lanes. So it'll be interesting to see how these two teams interact with each other and will really give us uh, a clear shot at is this just gonna be TSM's league to run away with, like we're seeing SKT over in uh, Korea, or you know, are these teams that we thought were going to be able to compete with them, the Immortals, the CLGs, are they actually just needing a couple of, you know, a week or two to get warmed up and now they'll really contend with TSM because the TSM that played during week one looked unstoppable. Biofrost was absolutely fantastic in my opinion. Uh, so that'll be a very good series to watch. And uh, I think the the Apex game, against TSM will also be very important because it'll show us whether Apex is really a serious contender. Yeah, absolutely. There's obviously a ton of different storylines in North America. I Personally, I just want to see what happens with Liquid because we have a player who was quoted on stream saying that he didn't have much respect for his coach and would rather play on the Liquid Academy team than have to play for the main roster when Lokodoko's there. And he, now he's playing on the main roster. And as of right now, Loco Doco's still there. So color me intrigued. I am very interested in seeing how that breaks down and, and how it appears when it finally hits the rift. Obviously, there are a ton of things we're going to have to look forward to. All of the, the points on the stream numbers, dynamic queue, uh, how Riot is going to handle some of these timing and, and uh, advertising the, the streams to the larger audience are all going to become more and more clear as we go through the split. But, you know, for, for now, we're, we're in a very interesting place and, and one that I think there's uh, a lot of room for improvement for, but a lot of potential excitement along the way if, if Riot figures some of these things out. Uh, Jeremy, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, we loved having you here, man. Is there anything you'd like to plug on your way out? You can follow me on Twitter. I usually follow back um, at Jeremy Wolf. It's pretty easy to find. There's a one in, instead of the L. It's J-E-R-E-M-Y-W-O-1-F-E at Twitter. Um, and I usually fall back. I love following, talking to LCS fans and esports in general. Any esports orgs um, need some help in social media, just hit me up and I'll help you out. Thank so you. Sounds great. Walter, where can the nice people at home find you? As always, you can find me at C80s underscore LOL. Awesome. And you can find me at Redshirt King. And by the way, you can also follow the podcast at Rough Drafts Pod. This is where we do all of our live tweeting now. It was a lot of fun interacting with some of you guys during the game. 
Uh, Walter and I were both uh, live tweeting different games at, at different times, but it's certainly something that we're going to try to do more of as we go uh, moving forward because it's just a lot of fun interacting with you guys in that way. Uh, we also, of course, have our Facebook page. If you go to facebook.com slash roughdraftspod, we post everything there. And uh, we love engaging in conversations on that medium as well. So uh, be sure to check that out. You should also make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast if you haven't yet. You can find it on soundcloud.com slash esportsroughdrafts or on iTunes if you search Rough Drafts there. If you hit that subscribe button, you're going to get all of our episodes uh, as well as being able to check out any that we've done previously. Plus, it really helps us out with all the algorithms and everything else. So uh, we appreciate when you guys do that. And by the way, don't forget, on Wednesday, that's tomorrow, on Slingshot Esports, Walter and I are going to be breaking down week two of the European Guess the Lines. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and until then, goodbye, Internet.